good morning, guys. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. We got a few guys online uh, tuning in this morning. Guys, I hope you'll uh, take the opportunity maybe of calling some friends that uh, sit around you normally when we're meeting at C Spire and let them know about this new method of media that we're uh, reaching out with weekly. Uh, we're here today at Chuck McBride's house. A few of us uh, from the leadership team are here. Uh, you know, this is all about Phil. There's a few of you out there that think you get a lesson from this, but it's really about Phil. Phil's teaching so that he learns. And in order to teach, he has to have some guys around. He can't do this just in a studio like we were doing initially. He likes to have guys on a patio, and that's where he works best. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah. But we're here uh, in Ridgeland uh, at Chuck McBride's house on the patio, uh, coming to you live this morning. So glad you tuned in. Week 21. Week 21, who in the world would have thought we would have been in a pandemic lasting this long? In Mississippi, we're thankful for our host, Chuck, but there's mosquitoes here. Malaria, I would have understood that pandemic. COVID-19, I do not understand it at all. For those that have family members that have suffered under the coronavirus and lost loved ones, our prayers are with you. For those of you that may be sick from it, our prayers are with you as well. Guys, we continue in the wilderness in the series as Phil teaches us uh, about Jesus' time in the wilderness, the Israelites in the wilderness wandering, and how uh, God uses these times to teach us. With that, let me open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here. We thank you for the guys that work so hard, Jeff and Jeff and Chris and preparing materials and bringing his life to you every week. Thank you for Phil and his preparedness. Lord, thank you for Chuck and his wife and them prov providing their house and opening up to us to meet. Lord, be with the men that join us this morning and those that are not tuning in but may follow later in the video recording. It's in your precious name, son, we pray. Amen. We are uh, so glad you're tuned in. I can't get that around my belt, so forget that. So, uh, gentlemen, I am delighted to be out here in San Diego with you. I mean, uh, uh, Jackson, Mississippi is such a beautiful morning. It feels like San Diego weather. Uh, I don't know what happened to the humidity, but I'm not complaining. Uh, we're just glad. And um, what I have for you this morning is a song that Bethel Music put out in uh, a group called I Am They. And I don't know how I Am They came up with their group name, but I love the, creati uh, uh, the creativity. I Am They. Uh, and this song um, was written by um, the couple that uh, does Bethel Music. And it is a song of freedom and a proclamation uh, that we are no longer slaves. And... Um, this is so much of what Moses is teaching in the wilderness to the children of Israel. Um, and so I think it's appropriate um, as we continue in Moses' sermons in uh, Deuteronomy. Let me read just a portion of the song to you. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. 
I've been born again to a family. Your blood flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave. May you hear the voice of God and may it open your heart to what he has for us this morning. You got me moody. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemy. Till all my fears are gone I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God chosen me your love has called my name I've been born again into your family your blood flows through my veins I'm no longer a slave to fear I am
Amen. I am a child of God, no longer a slave. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Uh, We continue our series, and I'm uh, delighted. uh, There's about uh, 10 of us or so on the uh, patio here at Chuck's, and um, it is great to be with you this morning. Uh, So follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. Into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of life. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. I I truly believe that, guys, that he is at work uh, during this strange season, as, as Joe described earlier. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust him, he must present us with a moment of crisis. And since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, then we can trust him in our own wilderness seasons. Let's continue to journey together. So this morning, what we're looking at um, as we uh, take a peek into Moses's uh, third sermon Again, it took uh, Moses about a week um, uh, to go through uh, the sermon of Deuteronomy. Um, And this is the third sermon that we're looking at, at least in part. We'll take uh, a couple of weeks um, to look at this. Um, But what Moses is doing, um, as we focus on chapter 28, and and the third sermon is chapter 27 through 33, Moses' third sermon. But in, in chapter 28, I would, I would kind of summarize it like this, that, that Moses takes a look into the future. How would you predict your future? What, what is your future going to look like? And after we kind of look at Moses's uh, words, um, I'm going to offer you some of the issues that might be important to consider that would be somewhat indicators or predictors of your future. How, how well are you handling these certain issues? And, and if you tell me and, and, and do some kind of a personal assessment on how you're doing in these areas that we're going to look at, then uh, we can be pretty clear on what our future might look like at least in terms of as much as we are in control of our future, that we're at least in charge of our own lives. So pick up a pen. Let's go to work. And um, I've got three questions for you. The first, first question that I would ask you to engage with is what issues matter to you? I would, I would write that down. And, and I'm going to invite the guys on the patio just to work with me here for just a minute. What issues, brainstorming, 
what issues matter to you? Influence. influence, being able to have impact and influence. All right. What issues matter to you? Health. Health. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of relevant. All right. Our health. Jesus. Jesus. Squirrel. Squirrel. Exactly. Jesus. What's that? Safety. Yeah. That's an issue that I feel safe, uh, that I present safety uh, to those who are in my life, that, they, that a person ought to be able to walk into my presence and feel welcomed and to feel safe. Yeah. Well, payday. We have, we have one very superficial guy here. Uh, we won't mention any names, John. Uh, but John's concerned about payday. So, yeah, that's cool. All right. Thank you, John, for that. Uh, you know, we'll keep it anonymous. So we won't show your face. We'll just name your name. All right. Payday. All right. So, um, again, what is important to you? Um, this past um, weekend, Carla and I did a, had the privilege of sitting with a couple that uh, came in from out of state and uh, just a sweet, sweet couple, but really in the, in the midst of a lot of hurt. And we did a, a personalized intensive with them uh, on Friday and all day Saturday. And uh, so much of what I'm going to share with you um, is a lot uh, about what I wish my friends from out of state really understood. Great couple, uh, fell in love with them, hope to see a lot more of them. But like many of us at different seasons of our life, they're in a world of hurt. Um, and what we always say typically is the issue is never the issue. What, what you think is the issue is usually not the issue. It's kind of like an iceberg. You know, you think what's ahead and then what you see is the issue. But underneath the waterline, there's something much, much more that'll sink the Titanic. The issue above the water is not the real issue. What's really going on is what you don't see, you're blind to. And again, as a counselor, much of what I try to do as best I know how is help people deal with below the waterline stuff. What's really going on. So what issues are important to you? Second question uh, is, what do you need to stop and what do you need to start? That's all about change. Uh, I, I could have easily asked the question, what would you like to see changed in your life right now? That, that, that would be another way to ask the same question. But the reason I ask it that way is because any kind of change is typically about me stopping something Stopping something, stopping, stopping something, but then starting something else. Because if I just stop something, the chances are that something is just going to come back with, with intensity, greater intensity. You know, I'm not going to think of red-faced monkeys. I'm not going to think of red-faced monkeys. I'm not going to think of red-faced monkeys. Well, what are you going to think about? You know, and so any kind of change is about stopping something that you want to stop and then starting something. I heard I heard uh, Chris, who's with us, uh, say to John the other day, he's man, he looks great. Chris, you look great, dude. And uh, Chris has started running. I heard uh, a lot more. 
probably never quit running. Uh, Chris is a, I, I kind of get the idea. Chris has been a lifetime runner, but he's, he's lost a few pounds and he started running more during the pandemic. So, yeah. Third question. Who do you know that's in the wilderness now? Moi. We all are. We're all in the wilderness. Um, I just put a plug in, you know, in our, in our hardened life, uh, the girls and I, uh, we do these uh, weekly blogs. We, we take a week a month, um, and Carla and Audrey and Abigail and I, and uh, this week is my turn to write the, the blog, and uh, we'll, we'll post it on Sunday. And I'm excited about writing it. I'll, I'll sit down on Saturday morning and write it. I've already written it in my head, and I just need to get it on paper. And what I'm going to be writing about is the polarization of our culture. Everything is so polarized. And it's like, um, how do you have a conversation about anything and then not turn in uh, to an argument? Uh, and, and it's like, where, where's our civility? Where, where's our respect? Where, where's empathy? Where, where's validation? Where, where's understanding? We're all in this wilderness, and uh, man, the reactivity and people being on edge and the stress and the irritation. Jeff was just telling me some stories, crazy stuff goes on at, uh, as he went to get a, a, a doctor's uh, appointment. I mean, uh, restaurant people uh, being uh, uh, mistreated. It's amazing. Polarization of our culture. We're in the wilderness. A lot of stress. So. What about the future? What was Moses trying to say to the children of Israel about their future? Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 28, and let's dig in. Um, and I thank you, God, for your word. I, I am so glad that I have a heart for his word. And it, it's, I'm not smart enough and spiritual enough and godly enough to have that on my own. But I am so glad that I actually enjoy this. I, I love it. I'm at the buffet table, and uh, the uh, food is rich. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Listen to this. Moses continues in his third sermon, having started at uh, chapter 27. So 28, he says this. If you listen obediently to the voice of God, Shema, uh, the word Hebrew word for listen that we looked at uh, a couple weeks ago. Listen, your God and heartily obey all his commandments that I command you today, God, your God, will, will place you on high, high above all the nations of the world. All, those, all these blessings will come down on you and spread out beyond you because you have responded to the voice of God, your God. Again, you've responded. You've, res you, you've listened first, and you're a first responder to God's word. God's blessing inside the city, God's blessing in the country, God's blessing on your children, the crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the cows of your herd, the lambs of your flocks, God's blessing on your basket and bread bowl, God's blessing in your coming in, God's blessing in your going out. God will defeat your enemies who attack you. They'll come at you on one road and run away on seven roads. God will order a blessing on your barns and workplaces. He'll bless you in the land that God, your God, is giving you. God will form you as a people holy to him, just as he promised you. If you keep the commandments of God, your God, and live the way he has shown you. And it continues, but I'll stop there. Because 
the first idea of future is the blessing that comes from simply walking with God. That's what he's saying. You guys walk with God, and it won't be perfect, and yes, bad things do happen to good people, and that, that's another whole topic, you know, but it's, there's so much blessing when we listen to God and we follow him, and then he gives the backside of that coin. There's always heads and tails, always heads and tails. Jump down to verse 15. He says this, here's what will happen if you don't obediently listen to the voice of God. You stop listening, your God, and diligently keep all the commandments and guidelines that I'm committing you today. All these curses will come down hard on you. God's curse in the city, God's curse in the country, God's curse on your basket and bread bowl, God's curse on your children, the crops of your land, the young of your livestock, the cows of your herd, the lambs of your flocks, God's curse in your coming in, God's curse in your going out. God will send the curse, the confusion, the contrariness down on everything you try to do until you've been destroyed and there's nothing left of you, all because of your evil pursuits that led you to abandon me. Wow. Wow. I don't want that to happen to you or to me. Or to us as a culture, as a country, as a family, as friends, as an individual. Blessing and curse, that's what Moses is talking about. He so much says, you know, you can kind of assure your future, not perfectly, but as you listen to God, um, Years ago, um, Peter Lilback um, is a good friend of mine. Uh, Peter is the uh, president of, of Westminster Seminary. And um, years ago, uh, when I lived in Philadelphia, P uh, Pete uh, led a uh, men's Bible study uh, on the book of Romans. And we studied the book of Romans for five years uh, in a conference room. Uh, we were in Woody Odeorn's uh, conference room. And, I, and um, I always said, I got there early. I always sat on one end of the conference table and Pete was on the other end of the conference table. And I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, uh, but I knew just enough to ask Pete questions. And, and a lot of the guys would say, you know, we just come to listen to your questions to Pete. Pete would tease and I, I would ask questions. And one of the questions that I asked Pete uh, one morning, I said, you know, Pete, help me understand why the Jewish community, even though they don't uh, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, um, has been so blessed by God. And um, I'll, I'll never forget Pete's answer. It was a great answer. He just said, you know, well, the Jewish people have certainly been honored by God. He, it, it, is, it, it is his chosen people, although in the New Testament it says that those of us who are Jesus followers are true Jews, that we are Jewish in that sense. But what he said is that even following the guidelines of God, even though you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, will bring, will, will bring some sense of order to your life. Not, not, not prosperity. Got to be careful with that word. Um, but it'll bring order and blessing to our lives. It's, it's, a, it's a way to live. Uh, we were talking uh, before we got started, even just in terms of the Mosaic law being a foundation 
uh, for our culture and for our uh, uh, country in terms of law. Just following that. You don't have to believe in Jesus to benefit from the orderliness and the structure that is brought. Blessing and curse. And guys, if we move away from this, our future will be chaotic. Um, it, it is the idea, Moses is saying, is that to obey is important but don't miss that it is faith that really saves us. Um, I don't often use the, you know, the theological words here that, you know, we studied in, when I was in seminary. And, and if you're going to a good church, which, which I hope you are, that you hear. Um, but this idea here that Moses gets into or, or that we need to cover is the is the difference between sanctification and justification. Um, we can get confused when we talk a lot about obedience, thinking that we are saved by our obedience. No, we are saved by faith in Jesus, God's provision. But as we obey and we work out our sanctification, we will be assessed. Uh, we will be rewarded based on our obedience. Scripture is very clear on that. But you have to make a distinction between my works don't save me, but my works do indicate that I am saved. It's an indicator. Again, it's, it's a way to assess where you are. Now, turn over to Galatians chapter 3. And again, you know, we know that Deuteronomy uh, was the most quoted book by Jesus, and, um, and certainly as God trained the Apostle Paul, he studied the book of Deuteronomy, and a lot of what Paul writes is his, his uh, personal assessment of Deuteronomy. And even Josiah Hundreds of years after uh, Moses wrote Deuteronomy, they discover the book of Deuteronomy in the rubble of the temple. And Josiah, who's, you know, uh, late teens, early 20s, just a young, uh, uh, the young king, when he hears the book of Deuteronomy, Moses' sermon, he rips his clothes and begins to grieve and mourn for his people. And revival comes uh, to Israel at that point. So hundreds of years later, even after Jesus has come, the Apostle Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, uh, and, I, and I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts this passage um, in, in the Message Bible. He says, verse 1, you crazy Galatians. Now, when was the last time you heard a pastor stand up and say that? You crazy Fairhopians, you crazy Jacksonians, uh, you guys are crazy. Did someone put a spell on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives, his sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Let me put this question to you. How did your life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God or was it 
by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think that they could complete by their own efforts what God has begun by God, what was begun by God. Now, again, you ought to underline that passage right there. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? It is not yet a total loss, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. Now, in your study Bible, th this, this passage actually uh, says, having begun by faith, are you now going to be perfected by the flesh? What, he, what he's saying is amplifying on what Moses was trying to get the children of Israel to understand, that obeying will bring a, a blessing and curse. There'll, there'll be fruit from obedience. But, but the way, even um, in Moses' day, God reckoned it to them as righteousness when they put their faith in God. It's always by faith. Always by faith is what justifies us. But it's our obedience that brings us to maturity, and we get to experience the fruit of wisdom and living life um, obedient to God. That'll be a future predictor. And then, and then finally, it's this idea uh, that we always fight. And Moses' sermon was this, are you going to return to slavery? Uh, um, are you going to go back to your old ways? Turn over to Hosea. Um, Hosea chapter 11. This is such a poetic book and such a beautiful uh, passage. Um, and it's all about how Israel has really just been freed. They crossed the Red Sea. And what Moses is trying to help them see is like, guys, you can, you can go back to Egypt, not necessarily physically, but you can go back to being slaves. And so even in the book of Hosea, um, he's letting them know that they may not be going back to Egypt as a slave, but what happens is, is that they become slaves to the Assyrians. And uh, you can, we can be the same way. We can be slaves to our addictions. We can be slaves to our own um, uh, obsessions and compulsions. We become slaves. Listen to Hosea, beautiful passage, poetic. When Israel was only, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, when Israel was only a child, I loved him. I called out, my son called him out of Egypt, ca called him out of slavery. But when others called him, he ran off and left me. He worshiped the popular sex gods. He played at religion with toy gods. Still, 
I stuck with him. I led Ephraim. Just put your own name. I led Phil. I led Jeff. I rescued him from human bondage, but he never acknowledged my help, never admitted that I was the one pulling his wagon, that I lifted him like a baby to my cheek, that I bent down to feed him. Now he wants to go back to Egypt or go over to Assyria, anything but return to me. Yeah, maybe he's not going back to Egypt, but something else, Assyria will take over. His addiction, his fleshly desires, his obsessions, his compulsions, his idolatry. That's why his cities are unsafe. Wow. That's why his cities are unsafe. The murder rate skyrockets. Now, I'm not reading from a newspaper. This is Hosea 11. And even in every plan to improve things falls to pieces. My people are hell-bent on leaving me. They pray to God, Baal, for help. He doesn't lift a finger to help them. But how can I give up on you, Ephraim? How can I turn you loose, Israel? How can I leave you to be ruined like Admon, devastated like Luxus uh, Zeboam? I can't bear to even think such thoughts. My insides churn in protest, and so I'm not going to act on my anger. I'm not going to destroy Ephraim. And why? And why, why doesn't God just destroy us? Because I'm God and not a human. I'm the Holy One and I'm here in your very midst. The people end up following God. I will roar like a lion. Oh, how I'll roar. Be the lion. My frightened children, as dogs bark in the background, my frightened children will come running from the West. Like frightened birds, they'll come from Egypt. From Assyria, like sacred doves, I'll move them back into their homes, God's word. Wow, that is such a beautiful passage. We return. And our future is secured up. I won't take the time to read Galatians or Colossians chapter 3, first four verses. But I would just invite you in the next week, just listening to, to what we've talked about here, look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and write that out in your own words. It's such a fulfillment and promise of our future. It's a predictor of our future. If we live by these principles, Moses is saying, man, your future is bright. You know, your son or daughter graduates from high school. Man, you want them to have a bright future. You know, you, uh, Chris's daughter just got married here uh, a few weeks ago. Chris blesses his daughter, wants her to have a bright future. You know, these are future predictors. Listen to God, walk with him, walk by faith. Moses, Moses was the esteemed leader of Israel, and they listened to his words. Um, we need models. We need people that we look up to. I, uh, I, I've been reading um Eric Metaxas's book, uh, Seven Great Men. And uh, even if you don't read the whole book, <laughs> stand in the bookstore and read the preface. It talks about what we uh, have become in terms of men and how we don't have models. And we need models to be men after God's own heart. Who do we look up to? Through our whole series, we've been kind of using Major Dick Winters um, as a as, as a model, I, uh, I love the words 
that are used to describe him by his men that he led. Um, listen to this short clip, uh, esteeming Major Dick Winters. Leadership. Leadership is what Dick Winters wanted us to remember of him. What he wanted marked upon this statue with more prominence than his name. And what he wanted us to pay homage to in honoring the moments and makers of a valiant history. You know, I think this memorial is essential to tell the story of Richard Winters and who he's about, not only as a man, but as a leader. All of us have the ability to develop our leadership skills. Some do it better than others. Dick excelled at it. I think my fondest memory of Dick Winters is the kind of man he was. He was a kind of leader. He was a, a decent person and he was uh, focused on what his mission was. Which was fantastic, the way, the way he moved and did things. He was, <clears throat> he was a terrific shot. Um, he never wasted ammunition. He never used a gun unless he had to because he was a leader. He was a bright leader and, uh, and uh, somewhat of a fearless leader too, but sensible. You know, I think there's one event in particular during uh, Operation uh, Market Garden in Holland, um, Richard Winters climbed to climb the staircase to the top of a church steeple in, in Uden on Hell's Highway, September the 22nd, 1944. And they were in a small village there in Uden. He quickly realized that, that German forces were mobilizing on all sides of their position. And, and unflappable leader that Richard Winters is, he, he descended the stairs, gathered his men and said, gentlemen, the situation is normal. We're completely surrounded. Yeah, that's what we expected when we went into combat, that we would be surrounded and then hope for a breakthrough somewhere to relieve us. Exactly what uh, Winters was very right when he said uh, nothing unusual, we're surrounded. I think um, that was apropos. But uh, Dick Winters was, uh, was a, a great leader. I don't think he had an enemy. I think even the Germans must have liked him. But he was a, he was a great leader and everything he did was right. He, he always, always, all his decisions were right. Major winners always did things right. I don't think he ever made a mistake. The guys really reverenced him because, not worship, reverenced him because he had a, a, an innate sense of doing the right thing. Major Dick Winters. You know, I, um, I told you the story again of Carl and I sitting with this couple. And, and again, I just fell in love with this uh, couple, very gifted, very bright, um, you know, lots of just um, wonderful things about them. And um, one of the, one of the things um, about um, um, the uh, husband in the, in the, uh, in the couple was just his broken relationship with his father. And, um, you know, it, it grieved me deeply. Um, I'm not sure he understood 
how influential that broken relationship is driving him today. But at least from my perspective, for whatever it's worth, I see him trying to fill the hole in his heart with um, his work, um, his striving, because his model that he is following, at least on an unconscious level, was so broken. He needs a different model. These guys in Easy Company had Major Dick Winters. We have Moses. More importantly, we have Jesus. Um, I want to alert you to um, a book that I'm reading right now. Again, I, I have a have a bad habit of reading about six books at the same time. I'm I'm ADD, you know, so I have to read a chapter at a time and then switch to another book. Um, but but a book um, that I would commend to you um, is uh, a good friend of mine, Pat Morley. I've known Pat since the um, 80s when both of us were a part of Executive Ministries with Campus Crusade. And Pat Morley's book, The Christian Man, a conversation about the 10 issues men say matter most. Now, doesn't that intrigue you? What would be the 10 issues that matter most to men? Well, it's on your notes there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you through them real quick. Um, and um, what I would encourage you to do is get the book and read Pat Morley's book. So this is kind of a book review. But first of all would just be identity. Who am I? What we talk about uh, around here is self-awareness. Uh, my experience in working with men for more than 30 years is most men are not self-aware. We're out there chasing the carrot. I mean, many of us aren't any smarter than a mule. Uh, we're just, we're just, you know, we're plowing the field. We're chasing the carrot. We're chasing the carrot, but we don't know who we are. We don't know what we're feeling. Uh, we don't know who we belong to, where we're headed. And Scripture says, Second Corinthians five seventeen. The old life is gone, a new life burgeons. Um, it's like it's robust in Christ. Who are you? Is that what your identity is? Or if I ask you who you are, would you tell me your resume? And it'd be like guys with watches and wives with rings and a trench coat. You know, I got watches and I got rings, you know. It's like, I don't want to see your resume. I'm a child of God. In my uh, quiet time every morning, I follow the seven um, principles of hopeful self-journaling that we have on our website, hardenlife.com. Go to resources and look at hopeful self-journaling. And there's seven uh, steps to journaling that changes the brain waves, the neuroplasticity in your brain. And the first one of the seven that I follow every morning is affirmations, personal affirmation. I am empowered. I am a child of God. I am the beloved son. That Just that one helps anchor me for the rest of the day. It's my identity. That's who I am. Not a therapist or, you know, a Tennessee fan. That's really deep, you know. The, the Presbyterian, you know, that's, that's, that's really cool. Nobody cares. Hippie. I'm an old hippie. Hey. I got my hair cut, okay? Got my hair cut. All right. Second is balance. Balance, what, what we talk about uh, around here, is good and bad. 
flowers and weeds. A healthy person can deal with ambivalence. In my blog that I write on Saturday, I'll be writing a lot about this. Rather than being polarized, it's like, you know, everything has the same energy. You know, I feel the same. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about barbecue, but I don't like North Carolina barbecue. I like Alabama barbecue. I mean, it's just like, it's crazy. It's like, chill out, dude. It's barbecue. It's not that big a deal. A little, a little civility, a little balance. Again, scriptures listed on each one of these. And then how about growth? How about you and me being committed to growth? That, man, if I was concerned about my future, I would want to be growing more than paying off my mortgage. Now, I'd like to have my mortgage paid off sometime by the time I'm 96. That would be good, you know, but I want to be mature. I want to grow up. And then how much energy do you spend thinking about your marriage? I just wish you'd quit bitching at me or, or, you know, I, I wish, I wish you'd quit spending so much money. I mean, dude, Quit complaining. What we always say, all blame and criticism must stop. And by the way, Carl and I are doing our couples workshop um, here in um, two weeks. Uh, come to Fairhope, uh, bring your wife, and we'll straighten you out. How about that? Okay. But your marriage, that's an issue. And, you know, my, my good friends uh, from out of state that I mentioned to you, man, I... It, it hurt my heart so much because I felt like, you know, the parable of Jesus when it says, you know, what shall it profit a man that he gained the whole world and lose his soul? You know, what difference does it make if you've got a great business and you're making a lot of money or, you know, you're getting all these awards or whatever and you lose your family? Tragic. And then how about your children? How about your children? Guys, if any of you are listening to this and you're somehow alienated uh, that the rupture uh, is, is big with your children, then pray and work to heal that. Now, again, it takes two. I understand. You know, if, if he won't talk to you, if she won't talk to you, at least do your part. But it's like your children. Isn't that our legacy? Isn't that the trophies that we have on our mantle? Not, you know, these big bowling trophies or a golf trophy or whatever, but like pictures of our children and our grandchildren. That's our legacy. And then, wow. Friends, friends. I asked my uh, new friend that I mentioned, uh, um, that we spent time with this weekend about his friends. You know how many friends he has? Zero. He's got business partners. He's got some drinking buddies, but nobody is in his life that has any idea of the stress and the pressure, the fears and the anxieties and the brokenness that's going on in his life. It's so sad. You're not going to make it uh, without friends. I mean, life is a team sport, no doubt. 
and then work, 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 and then we die. That's what Ecclesiastes is talking about in, in the passage that's referenced here. But somehow, you know, we've got to bring this work thing into perspective. I mean, what time do you normally get home? Now, again, this whole pandemic thing is, is like, we're, I am home. But what time do you come out of your bunker uh, to have dinner? Um, you know, how does work work for you? That's your work is not your life. So we need to bring that into perspective. And then how about this? Lust. And lust is not just about our sex drive. I mean, it may be lust for cheese pizzas. Right, John? I mean, it, it may be, you know, lusting after that which I've got to have. You know, be lusting after smoothies. You know, Clay, Clay would be okay with that, you know. Or, or at least he once was. He's not nearly as committed to smoothies as he once was, you know. Um, but yeah, lust. How do we work with that? And then, my goodness, what do we do with culture? Romans 12. Romans 12. Do not be squeezed into a mold um, by the culture. And man, we all feel this gravitational pull to be culturalized. No, you know, I'm a child of the king. I'm a citizen of the king, first and foremost. I belong to heaven. I'm headed toward the celestial city. That's where I most identify my citizenship. And I'm, and I'm proud to be all that I am, whether it be an American or a Harden uh, or a Presbyterian or whatever. But my real home is a citizen of the celestial city. And then finally is sharing my faith, telling my story, inviting others into a personal relationship with Jesus. How would you lead somebody to Jesus? First and foremost, I hope that you've got a story to tell. You would tell your story and just simply ask them to put their faith in Christ. The gospel, Jesus died for me. And it's by me putting my faith in him that righteousness is reckoned or credited to me. So guys, I'm, I'm concerned about my future, aren't we all? Future's a big issue. But the words of Moses invites us to be obedient um, to God. And these issues are ways to assess where we are in our future. And if we were really working these things, and Pat Morley's done a great job of teasing that out, you can read his book, then our future is a lot more secure. May you hear the voice of God. Close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for our time this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Moses. Uh, we're grateful. Help us to hear you all of this day and days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. See you next week.